Now stolen by Rob Sanders. Down the lane for the jam. And Ron Sanders can drill it twice. And McGrath takes the three on fire with it. We have less than two. Take two Coast to coast for the jam. A straight man-to-man -man defense by Rutgers, but the Friars really aren't running much. Open three. Got it. Ryan Gomes nails the three. That's why he's a preseason number one team selection coming in. They leave this with 139 to go. 77-62. by Sanders from the alley-oop. This is Gomes. Up and good. The chance for a three-point play. Terrific execution by the Friars. Ryan, I, I just said, it's one of the best players in our league, and it's starting to be, look, look like one of the best players in the country. I don't know what else I can say. And if you want me to say, stop, I stop. Right. Nice job staying with him there in the post. He can make these. And he does. A three ball for Gomes. They're as close as they've been in the second half. 27 for Ryan Gomes. You want me to say, stop, stop? For the fifth time, stop. All right, so put it five times. Hello everyone, and welcome to the Friar Pod Series, hosted by FriarBasketball.com and the Friar Podcast. I'm of course your host, Billy Ritchie, and I'm joined by FriarBasketball.com's Kevin Farahar. If you've listened to the Friar Pod Series, you probably know that this 2003-2004 Friar team was special, but has come with its ups and downs. In the last episode, we chatted through some amazing wins and some struggles by the Friar team. Mostly wins, though, with some five-game winning streaks, a memorable win against Illinois at MSG, and some memorable losses, unfortunately, against Texas and URI. We're going to kick off with the game that I think taught the 2003-2004 Friars a lot, and that was, of course, the loss against Rutgers. A 66-65 heartbreaker, which the Friars led by five with 12 seconds to go. Herve of Rutgers hits a three, and Donnie missed two free throws. I'm sure he wishes he had those back. But as Kevin and I are going to talk about, this was something that was very special to the Friar community in that we rallied around Donnie and we supported him even though the loss came at the edge of his two free throws. I always pride myself on being like a 90% free throw shooter or something like that. And when I missed those, it was like heartbreaking. And like, I took everything real serious, you know, and it was like, that crushed me. Yeah, Ernie D reached out to me. A lot of people did actually and offered support. So it, it was like big and, you know, being a shooter and being like younger in my career, it was, it was a kind of mental thing, the ups and downs and being in like, you know, shooting streaks, like missing for a while, making for a while. And it was like kind of a mind game, but. You know, those guys reaching out to me was huge and gave me support. So, and, and I bounced back pretty quick. So it was one of those things where you look over the course of your career and you look back and uh, that was one of those things that probably like helped me build some strength. Ryan Gomes, of course, with 27 points, always over 20 points and seven rebounds. Remember about that game is, you know, the long court, the long court pass, Irvay Lamazon that catches it in front of his bench. Hey, you know, he does long, you know, uh, you know, a shoulder fake and it just fades away. And he swishes. All I can remember is like, this. Is, I remember looking like this looks like it's going in. And then he made it. And it was just like, I don't know what it is with us. It was just like, how are we keep losing, you know, kind of at the buzzer. So, you know, it was stuff that, you know, we're going to lock room. We'll be upset. Like, you know, I can't believe we lost this game. And we'll just revert back to the first one. Like, well, 
we won six in a row after we, you know, the first game before we played Illinois, we we said we won six in a row. So after this, when we lost to Rutgers, we said the same kind of thing. We won six. We won. We after we lost our last game, we won six in a row. So that how was our quick just turnaround thought because it, we ran off six before, but uh, um, going there, you know, it was always a tough place to play at the rack, no matter what. I mean, I think still currently, I know they're in the Big Ten, but I think currently now. It's still one of the tougher places to play. The way the arena's set up, the way the student section seats are almost like how Villanova's was back in the day when you played them on campus. So um, I think just the acoustics in the arena kind of makes it feel like the, the fans are right on top of you. And uh, it was just always a tough uh, place to play. And it's a, it's a battle of the season. You know, sometimes guys, didn't, you know, miss shots at un, on opportunistic times. I turned it over at opportunistic times. So it was just part of the season that, kind of went for us, but, you know, it was, a, it was a way for us to kind of gain our momentum and try to bounce back and see if we could finish up strong going into the remaining of the, the year after that Rutgers win. And some domination, of course, from Marcus Doughton. 16 points, 11 rebounds, and six blocks. Kev, what was that Rutgers game like for the Friars? Yeah, Billy, I was actually there. And um, the, the rack is a notoriously tough place to play, right? So, PC, it was an interesting game because it felt like they dominated. It felt like they should have been up more than they were late. And a big part of it was just Gomes and Douth were getting whatever they wanted. They were making it look so easy, you know, and Rutgers are just hanging around. A typical, you know, Big East game the road where even you're playing great, you know, come down to the wire. And man, that was such a tough one. They were up five with 12 seconds to go and they hit. I mean, I think they banked in their first three to cut it to two. And then they fouled Donnie McGrath, who... I think his junior year shot 93% of the free throw line. He's a great free throw shooter. And just by chance, he misses two there. Herve Lemonsada comes down and hits a three to win it at the buzzer. Rutgers is within two with 10.5 to go. The play, let the defense dictate what's going to happen. This is Doobie. Quincy Doobie with the ball. Lemonsada for three. Oh, was that ever a money shot? Unbelievable. Simply, simply unbelievable. 21 points for Herve Ramazana, and Rutgers leads it by a point with 0.4 left on the clock, and the Flyers are stunned. They're going nuts at the rack. It was that's a heartbreaker anyway, but especially coming off Texas. All of a sudden, you know, you're eight and one heading into Texas. Now you're eight and three with two pretty painful losses in a row. And as I mentioned, the Friar community rallied around Donnie. I think it's a point in the season where the Friars realized that they could either roll over or they could continue to be resilient and make this season what it was meant to be. So then we move on to a win against Seton Hall, 63-60. to Very underrated in two days after Rutgers. Hall was on an eight-game winning streak, a team that had won 21 games, the old Big East at its finest of just so many talented teams night in, night out. They just grinded out a win playing their starters plus Tuka Koti and Dwight Brewington as well. Kev, what did you think of the Seton Hall game? To me, that was one of the biggest wins of the season. It was on the road. It was two days after they lost to Rutgers. So they're out in Jersey. That was, I mean, had a little trip there. I went to both games and, um, you know, they, they just battled in that game. And I thought it was very, I thought it was the second time that season where they had bounced back off of a really tough game. They bounced back. Big time, you know, two days after they lost to URI, they beat Illinois. 
And now you're looking at these two losses back to back. And I think this is where it helps have a really kind of a veteran team. You know, their senior class with Sheku and Marcus Douthit and Maris Lax and Chris Anderson, they had all been to the tournament as freshmen. So they'd been through a lot. You've got, you know, Ryan Gomes is a junior and the Donnie McGrath at this point had started probably, uh, I don't know, 40 games, 50 games in his career. So they were an experienced team. And I think that really helped them. And the thing we learned from talking to these guys is they were a competent bunch too. It seemed like nothing really rattled them too much. But I think a big thing about this group is, you know, they showed a lot of perseverance. There were a lot of difficult losses and, and bounced back in a big way. You're 100% right. That Seton Hall game is the most important game we played that year. You know, and it's not the one people remember Illinois and they remember Texas because of the way it ended. And people kind of forget the Rutgers game. Uh, that Seton Hall game showed us, I think, that we were really mentally tough because not only we were up five with 20 seconds ago, Donnie missed the front end of a one and one that would have sealed the game. Uh, and I'll never forget afterwards, he got a call from Ernie D. And I remember thinking, just to console, just say, hey, man, you know, you're in the fight. You know, you're the guy we want on the line. It happens. It happened to me. It happens to everybody, you know, bounce back. And I remember thinking, man, this is a pretty cool place, right, where Ernie D calls the point guard after he struggles and says, hey, you know, you got a guy like Ernie D. Gregorio doing that. Um, I remember the Seton Hall game. We really tightened the rotation. Uh, we were really tough defense. I don't I don't know if we played more than six guys in that game. Um, it was it was a little bit of an, you know, similar mentality to uh, the Illinois game after losing the URI. But it was a little probably a little bit more desperation at that time. Right. You, you lose to Rutgers and now you go, you know, if you lose to Seton Hall, it's like the sun's never going to come up. You know, you're now 0 two in the Big East and um it was a close game. They were a good team. I mean, Andre Barrett and those guys, they were tough and we guarded them. I mean, I think we, I think it was in the sixties, low sixties. And um, I remember having conversations with coach and the staff. We were talking because coach was always a guy that wanted to play fast and get up and down. And, you know, I was like, guys, we, you know, we tend to win games like 65 to 60, you know, like that's okay. You know, and, and the way we defended in that game, uh, similar to the way we did in the second half of the Illinois game was really the key to winning it. And shoot, I, we might've gone on, you know, we win like 10 out of 12 or 11 out of 13 after that game. Uh, we went on a pretty unprecedented run. So that game was huge. And this led to another great win streak in the season, six straight wins, including the next game against West Virginia. Who remembers that West Virginia was actually coached by John Beeline? What a crazy fun fact that is. I mean, that team was pretty sound, and we, we took it to them, beating them 87 to 66. Kev, what did you think of the West Virginia game? Yeah, you know, it's it's funny. John Bainline is such a great coach, and he's gone on to a great career. But at that time, PC really had their number. I really think PC was too physical for him. You know, at, at that point, fans might remember Kevin Pitsnoggle was their big star. He was a six foot nine shooter. And I think PC was just really physical. And, and they, they beat him up the biggest tournament of the year before. Uh, and they did it again here. And, you know, this was a stretch of PC just playing really, really good basketball. With wins then over Loyola, Villanova, and of course, at Connecticut. The number four ranked team in the country with some of the best players on the planet who we would know to all play in the NBA for long tenures. I mean, where to start the game against UConn? Well, we knew 
we have players at every position that they had. We knew that, okay, like, for instance, we was playing against, okay, Ben Gordon, Talik Brown. Okay, then you have sick new, you know, Ben Gordon's game, and Talik couldn't shoot the way Donnie can shoot. You know what I mean? So we knew that we had advantage there. Okafor, me and him can cancel each other out. You know what I mean? He's not going to dominate me, and I'm not going to dominate him, so we cancel each other out. So that's how we broke things down. Like, Rob, you know, he's he, he a little more athletic than than – than guys who was on a wing. And we just, we just like figured it out. And we knew our bench was longer than theirs because we had Maris, he could shoot. We had Chris Aaron, he could shoot. We had a lot of shooters off the bench. I mean, those guys had guys who could slash and cut. So we always knew we had an advantage. On. And we, then like I said, we was right down the road. And first thing you look, you walk into any store, you see UConn on magazine. You didn't see Providence, you know what I mean? Even in our own city. So that was kind of, that was kind of, personal for us you know 66 to 56 win UConn was 15 and 2 3 and 0 in the Big East at the time Ryan Gomes goes for 26 and 12 rebounds going into that game you know it was just like like after that first year I played them on Gamble I didn't want to block my shot the sophomore year going back to it again they were ranked number four though this time so it was a little bit we all you know Ben Gordon and the Sheikh who had something you know, Talik and Donnie had something. Marcus and Okafor, even though Okafor was guarding me, it was still battle battle of the shot blockers. It was personal with me because I felt like, as far as like a shot blocker and stuff like that, I didn't feel like he was. I didn't feel like he was better than me as far as on the defense end, and and I just was trying to show it every time I had a chance. And I think that game, I know Rob was hurt that game, so. I don't know. I forget who we had at the small four that game, but um, that game was very, uh, it was a very intense game because they were top. They were four. I think the game was on CBS, if I'm not mistaken. I knew, you know, it was a junior year. I knew Okafor was on the radar, of course, being top three pick, if not number one pick. So in that game, I knew there was going to be a lot of NBA scouts at that game. And I said, going into that game, I said, all right, I played him a lot down low my sophomore year because I wanted him to know he can block my shot. So I said, my junior year, in my mind, I said, I'm going to do everything more, a little bit further away from the basket. So that was my plan of going into that game is to take him more off the perimeter because my game, I was more confident in my game, working with Rob McClanahan, doing a lot of face-up stuff and not a lot of back-to-the-basket stuff going into my junior year, even though I still had it. So that's what I wanted to do going into that game. And then, you know, everything just started. And, you know, I was working the score. I'm not saying everything was just falling, but I was working the score, but things started to, you know, the game started coming to me a little easy early. And then we just kind of rolled that wave, even though it was always two, it was always a three to four possession game. We really just didn't never, you know, have full control of the game. So it was a back and forth. Sheku got into foul trouble in the second half. It kind of, you know, they, they went on a little run there and then he came back in. I think he scored like six of our last 12 points or 14 points in that game. And we were able to, you know, walk away with the win. Kev? What was that UConn game like for those 2003-2004 Friars? Yeah, so, Billy, obviously we're going to talk about Gomes. This was his – we've talked about coming out parties and being on the national stage. This was truly Gomes's coming out party. But before we get there, I think it's important to note that at this point in the season, Rob Sanders is still out. So they're down Sanders, and Gomes goes for 26-12. and 12, But he, he went to the bench probably midway through the second half with four fouls. And it's a tight game at that point, probably one possession, two possession game. And essentially without their, you know, two starting forwards, 
PC gets huge buckets from Tukakoa T. Sheku Kaba was absolutely huge in the last probably eight minutes of that game. <laughs> you know your stuff, huh? You know your stuff. Ryan Ghost picked up his third foul, so the crowd was going crazy. And now they was on UConn to make their run. They was on them. They wanted them to make the run. So what I did was I was bringing the ball up a couple – I bring the ball up, and I had, like – Ben Gordon was on me. I had fed the post. I remember this play. I fed the post, and I relocated. So when I fed it, I moved, and they threw it back. When he turned around, I wasn't where he thought I was. I was in the corner. I hit, I hit two big threes that game. Big threes. I held them. We stopped them, and we scored a couple of points so that, that we kept the lead away. Then when Ryan Gomes came back, the, the icing was on the cake. It was over. The game was over. So I scored maybe – I scored, I think, 10 points that game, but I scored it all in that time when he was out of the game where we needed those baskets. You know, I scored a layup, I remember. We got a steal. I made a layup. I hit a three. I had another three. So it was like 10 points, if I'm not mistaken. And that's the kind of forgotten part about this game is you were without two of your starters against this powerhouse UConn team that went on to win the national championship and they still knocked him off. But of course, Evan remembers, you know, Gomes in that first half, he really just did a number on him at Goka four, like he had done basically since his freshman year. And we really saw kind of the best of Ryan Gomes. And of course that led to um, an interesting press conference with, with Jim Calhoun. Ryan, I, I just said, it's one of the best players sitting in our league and starting to be look, look like one of the best players in the country. I don't know what else I can say. And if you want me to say I fucked up, I fucked up. I think the thing that's interesting with the Connecticut game is you had so many smaller storylines within the bigger storyline, of course, of the Jim Calhoun quote. You had Ben Gordon matching up with Donnie and Sheku. Awesome story there. You have a Mecca Okafor and Marcus Stoughton going at it. Two of the best shot blockers in college basketball at the time. And you just had some different characters who just didn't like each other. From Providence being that team that wasn't getting on Slam Magazine going into 2003, 2004, who wanted it, who were gritty and tenacious every time they stepped on the floor, and they just didn't fear UConn. And that bothered UConn. And you could tell that like the Friars had UConn's number in the sense of UConn would just go in and frighten teams or just, or just scare them with their depth and their NBA talent. But that just never worked against the Friars. Yeah, and Billy, the other one too is, you know, Sheku Kaba and Talik Brown, both New York guys in the same class. And I always thought that that gave Sheku a little bit of an edge going up against those New York guys who got all the hype coming in. It seemed like he kind of had a little extra something in those games. And and that's the thing too. This is an era where this team really felt like they belonged on the court with UConn. You know, we talk to these guys now and they make it pretty clear that there was an intimidation factor there and to be honest you haven't been able to say that for certain pc teams you know in the past you know whereas this group no matter who they went against this is the best team it ended up being the best team in the country and they really had no fear of them at all even though they were down rob sanders even though ryan gomes had foul trouble it didn't seem to phase them at all that uconn game i remember that we were really prepared like we really got you know the week of practice and leading up to the games and like that group of those five guys, like, talking together before the games, like, we were really hyped. Um, I grew up with Ben Gordon, so those games always, like, kind of meant a lot to me. And um, we kind of just had their number, like, from the year before and then, and, you know, we just executed well. And that was also – that was probably the best game Ryan Gomes played in his career. That was that was pretty sweet, being a part of that, being able to watch him do that. I mean, I always – Emeka Okafor is one of the best defenders ever, even when he was in the NBA. And, and Ryan just tore him apart. 
was, it was pretty awesome. So, I mean, look, that's, that game's the reason why Ryan Gomes was an all American, right? Um, you know, I think he had 26 and 14 or something like that. You know, when, when Calhoun went on that rant, it, it went viral, you know, it blew up. I remember us being offensively about as good as we could be against what was always one of the best defensive teams. I think we had five or six turnovers. I, I know there was a clip of a possession where I think Gomes gets a layup inside that we used to show to recruits for years. And it was running on all our highlight films where everybody touched the ball. It comes around in front of our bench. You know, everybody touches it inside out. Um, the ball was, the ball was moving that game. And I think we had, you know, I think we had 20 assists or so and like five or six turnovers, like offensively against a great defensive team. And it was, again, you know, the game was in the fifties. Right. I think we held them to 56 points. So it was a couple of things. It was our confidence to beat, obviously, a great team on the road. It was okay. Ryan Gomes is a superstar. Right. I mean, 26 and 14 or whatever he had in that game, you know, against maybe the best defensive big man in college basketball. And then it was the unselfishness. It was the way we shared the basketball and the way we were able to, like, we started to, we had started to realize at that point um, that when the ball moved and the ball had energy, we were harder to guard. And I think that kind of solidified it for us. So it's, it, that'll always be a great memory from that. I mean, anytime you go into UConn and win, you're going to remember it, but that one sort of gave us the confidence, like, Hey, we are a legit contender when it comes to the big East and, and the NCAA tournament. Can we be remiss not to continue to bring up the Calhoun quote after the game, we on the bus and we going up. Now we going back. We going because we we bust down to Connecticut because it's close to you know Providence. So coach put it in the game, put it in the size of you know they got TVs in a, in a in a bus. So we watching it and it's like he's like um, Calhoun is like I'm sorry I didn't fucking recruit Ryan Gomes. I fucking took Neko Okafor. I fucking took what he said Charlie Villa Waver and I took these guys a uh, Karan Butler. He said Karan Butler or something. something. I took all Americans, you know, because they kept the reporters kept saying Ryan Gomes has been kicking your ass the last two years. <laughs> so he was mad at him. So Calhoun goes off, and that rent played like a long time all over ESPN. We would just see it all the time. It was just funny, but you know, they deserved that. We were supposed to beat them, but that year they won. I think that year they won the national championship. It was a good team. That team was dynamite. That team was really good. But that two-three zone, they couldn't do nothing with that two-three zone. They could not do it. Nothing with that. It's, it's truly just, A, being a Friar fan was one of the coolest things ever because we were a part of that. And B, just truly what it meant for Ryan Gomes' career. Being a kid who was probably, as he looked at himself, just a four-year player who was going to work hard and just, you know, do well in, in, in the system is that his only high major offer was for Providence. To being the guy who takes out a Mecca Okafor and, and beats UConn on, on, on home ground and stores Connecticut. Like, what did that quote really mean for Ryan Gomes' career? It was everything, you know, it, it really, PC couldn't have paid Jim Calhoun for more PR. You know, that was all over ESPN after the game. It's still shown all the time. You know, I tell people now, I tell people still that I see in Connecticut or just brings up, man, that's still my favorite, you know, quote of all times. That's, you know, top five of all time rants. And I said, yeah, yeah. I know I said it was, you know, I thank Jim Calhoun, not for anything, but I think, you know, if I wasn't on the radar at the time, even though I was having great numbers my freshman and sophomore and up to that point, I think after people seeing him, you know, say that say those things about, you know, 
about me, but to the reporter, I think more people gravitated and said, let's dig into this kid, Ryan Gomes, and see what he, you know, what he has. So he's a Hall of Fame coach. They're, they're a prestigious program in college. They won national championships. So, you know, him saying that must mean something in his just delivery. To college basketball fans, knowledgeable college basketball fans knew who Ryan Gomez was. At this point, he's halfway through what would be a consensus All-American season, right? So he's he's a star. But, you know, there's probably maybe a dozen college basketball players in the country that everyone kind of knows. And at this point, everyone knew who Ryan Gomez was because while they're playing the Calhoun ramp, they're showing the highlights of Gomez throwing up and unders over Okafor and taking him outside and stretching him out. So it completely just put Gomes on a different level nationally. It was pretty funny, man. We were, we were pretty hyped about it. I mean, that's, that's famous even still to this day. You'll still see it on like sports center sometimes. So pretty cool to be a part of that. And, you know, I mean, I guess Calhoun was right. You know, those guys were pretty good. They won the national championships, but uh, they, they couldn't use Gomes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Ryan Gomes all time for our great, obviously, but like, I just feel like he doesn't get enough credit for being the inside out threat that he was S- such a unique, versatile type player. He worked in the off season with NBA trainer. Now Rob McClanahan, who I had on the Friar podcast, who's a, who's a friend of the show, how he worked with Rob in the off season to become a more versatile player. And he worked against Friar greats like Ruben Garces. And always challenged himself to be better, like after practice, running sprints as fast as he could when he wasn't getting playing time and never really asking for it, just being ready for the moment, just being in his own zone. Marcus Doughton talked about it, whereas like Ryan didn't come in expecting this. He didn't come in expecting any of the success. And it just seems like it made him that much more ready for it. He was putting in the work on the day to day and that it would eventually come at the right time. Yeah, so Billy, I think two interesting things you brought up is, one, he didn't realize what kind of star he's even becoming. You know, it's like it, somehow the rest of the country knew about it, but wasn't really sinking in for him. And I, I think, you know, he obviously knew he was getting better, but it, it seemed like when we when we interviewed him, he didn't necessarily even think that he was becoming a superstar. But the interesting thing about Ryan is he has some things that I think people really overlook just naturally. So when he came in as a freshman, he had great hands. If the ball was near him, he was going to catch it. He was going to rebound it. And he was great around the rim. And I think people just automatically think college players, when they're within five to seven feet of the basket, are going to score. And we've seen, especially for big guys, that's not the case. And we saw it from Ryan from the very start. You know, he sat out for... The first seven games of his career, he comes in against South Carolina and goes in, goes for 15 and eight. And from his freshman year, you know, he scored 31 points. He set a PC record for, for freshman scoring. He really just had a knack around the basket. But what made him really special was that, that just the steady progression that we saw. So he went from a freshman who could pretty much score at will around the basket. If he was putting up around the basket, it was going in. And then all of a sudden, his sophomore year, he starts facing up a little bit. He's shooting from 15 to 17 feet, which he really didn't do as a freshman, but he's doing it more as a sophomore. Then his junior year, I don't think he hit a three his first two years. And his junior year, he goes out and he's and he's hitting threes now. And at this point, he's a really hard cover because not only is he a good scorer, but for a big guy, he's a great passer, right? He's a really good passer and he can dribble he can put the ball in the deck so by his junior year ryan had really expanded his game to where he was lethal outside and in and when you factor in you know he's a guy is getting nine to 15 rebounds a game um he was just at this point a superstar and what's ironic is probably 
everyone saw it, maybe except for Ryan at this point. He just didn't seem to be someone who, maybe it was how he carried himself. He wasn't someone who seemed like he thought he was a star. And even when you talk to him today, it, it seems like it never really fully sunk in for him, but he, just how big he'd gotten in college basketball. So after the famed UConn game, the Friars had a nice win against Georgetown, but unfortunately fell to Seton Hall and Virginia Tech in back-to-back games. Yes, for the kids listening to the pod, Virginia Tech was a part of the Big East. And it just seemed like at this point in the season, it was just a little bit of a bump in the road before the Friars would respond in a huge way, absolutely thumping defending national champion Syracuse 74 61, in which PC led by 21 at one point and just had a much more balanced effort with five double-figure scorers than in, in the recent two losses. And of course, we'd be remiss to not mention Marcus Doughton, a local of Syracuse, New York, who didn't get recruited by Syracuse, and he's talk, talks about it with us. I mean, I always had a personal vendetta against them because they, they didn't recruit me until my senior year. And, and, and so... You know, like I used to always go up there and play pickup with them. So I always had a personal vendetta, obviously. People at home telling me, you know, oh, why you didn't go to Syracuse? It was, you know what I mean? You made the wrong choice. Da, da, da. So it was always a personal vendetta. And and my teammates, you know, Donnie, Sick, oh, th- those guys knew, you know what I mean? Like when we played St. John's, it was it was Sick and Donnie. We had to beat St. John's. When we played Syracuse, Marcus, you got to beat Syracuse. You know what I mean? When we played UConn, Ryan. We got to beat UConn. Rob, we got to beat UConn. You know what I mean? So it, that's that's basically what it was. Like, when, when we played against teams that, you know, we all grew up watching and we were from, we, we left it all out there. I think that's what that's what worked out the best for all of us. You know what I mean? Doughton responded against Hughes with 16 points, 11 rebounds, and five blocks. Kev, can you recall what it was like beating Syracuse in the manner we did? Yeah, yeah, I feel like can. But just to take a quick step back, you know, you, you'd mentioned the, the quick little bump they road against Seton Hall and they had against Virginia Tech. You know, that was kind of interesting because it seemed like a blip and no one really worried about it too much because they had bounced back pretty well multiple times throughout the year. But it was almost a precursor to what you saw as far as how they struggled or where they struggled late in the year. You know, they just they shot the ball terribly against Seton Hall in that loss. They'd scored 46 as a team and that was with Gomes going for 28 and 13 and Gomes had 20 in the second half. Um, And then the Virginia Tech loss, you know, Virginia Tech, which is kind of funny, they were coached by Seth Greenberg, who's now at ESPN, is a pretty big name there. But Virginia Tech was one in six, and PC scored just 57 points. But the way they responded against Syracuse, it kind of overshadowed those two losses and made you think it was just a blip. You know, they were terrific against Syracuse. I mean, they, Providence, if you look back at their records against Syracuse, they really, really had when they were in the Big East really struggle with Syracuse and they didn't just beat them they completely manhandled them and as we mentioned in earlier episodes you know this was a team that had Hakeem Warwick they had Jerry McNamara so they had star power and Marcus doubt that again you know Syracuse they, they got in on him late you know Marcus when he came here it was down to PC Villanova and Syracuse but Providence was in on the earliest and, and he stuck with PC and he made it known we talked to him that this is personal for him and certain he played like at 16 and 11 with five blocks. And again, the zone was, was terrific. And this is another, another game where Donnie McGrath was great. He hit four threes for PC and Donnie really started to get hot during this time of the year. So this win against Syracuse led to another winning streak by the Friars. It was actually six wins total first against Syracuse next against Villanova and Randy Foy and Alan Ray Boston college against Jared Dudley and Craig Smith. 
Miami as well had some NBA players, Notre Dame and St. John's capping off the six game winning streak with 103 points at the Johnny's in Madison square garden. Kev, what were some of your main takeaways about this winning streak? Yeah. Again, this is PC bouncing back again. They, they had those two losses and they put them aside and, you know, they're often struggled a little bit, but all of a sudden their offense was phenomenal. So they go to Nova. I think a lot of fans will remember this game. They hit 15 to 25 from three. They score a hundred points in the road. It's the worst defeat in pavilion history. Um, this is a game where Donnie scored 20 points in the second half. He hit six or eight from three. That was another good one. The real memorable one. I think, I think me, Stick, and Ryan all scored in the 20s that game, and we blew them out of the gym. Another big one for me because I played with Alan Ray um, growing up in AAU and all that kind of stuff, and, and I almost went to Villanova. That was one of the reasons I didn't because I kind of wanted to be on my own and not with him. But um, that was huge for me because everyone was loving Villanova and those guards. You know, They were exciting, and obviously they had great success, but that was another big game. And a lot of my family there at that game also because it's not too far from New York, so that was a big one. And it was a bloodbath from the start. PC turned them over in their first five possessions and just completely ran through Villanova. And that's the Villanova team. You know, you'd mentioned Randy Foy and Alan Ray. They had Curtis Sumter. Those guys are sophomores. So they were this huge recruiting class that Villanova had that was really supposed to turn the program around. And it wasn't happening for Villanova yet, but it was it was coming, but it hadn't happened then. I remember that game at Villanova. We broke 100. You know what I'm saying? I, Donnie had 25. Ryan had 25, I had 20, Bob had like 15. I mean, we were just clicking on all cylinders that day, man. I mean, shots was falling, we was hitting threes. We was, we, we, that game, we was just like, Randy Foy, you and Allen Ray, they couldn't do nothing that day. That day, that two-three zone, they, they, they had a bad game that day. And we were just cooking, and Providence was just, we was on the rise, and we were really, we were, we were really good. And then at BC, they had a really nice win. Rob Sanders, who had kind of struggled to to find his footing as he came back, he had a really big shot in the win at BC. That was a good win on the road. And then two other big ones. You know, they they got a huge win late in the season to beat Notre Dame at Notre Dame. And that's when Gomes was just ridiculous. He scored 23 points in the second half. And at that point, PC was 19-5. and five. They were 10-3 and three in the Big East. And you're realistically thinking like this could be a team that could win the Big East this year. They're ranked 13th in the country and they're well positioned. And then they close out this great stretch by just embarrassing what was a pretty bad St. John's team, but still it was 103 points on the road. It was the second time they'd scored 100 points in the road during the stretch. And they just seemed to have everything going. That was an MSG and boy, they were just playing great going into a huge, huge, huge game against Pitt. Yes, this is this is where we're like, listen, now we knew Pittsburgh was the, I mean, it was like, we got to go through Pittsburgh. If anything, like it was one of the toughest, toughest teams we in the Big East, you know, with Krauser, Towns, uh, Chevy, Troutman, Chris. So we knew that. But so going into that, we were looking at the first place. We were looking like we can win the Big East. That's, I mean, after that, we were like, we can win the Big East. As Kev mentioned, St. John's team we played wasn't that great, but still 103 points in Madison Square Garden is no small feat. And this came with a quote from Coach Walsh that really kind of summarized where the Friars were at at the time. Our guys continue to impress me with everything they do. The maturity level right now is outstanding. They're feeling it. They're feeling good about themselves, and they realize great things could lie ahead, which of course led us to the unfortunate first game of the losing streak for the Friars to end the season. Going into the game against the number six pit, it was basically for the Big East title. 
Again, not so familiar territory for the Friars. It's number six versus number 12. Pitt at the time, 25 and three, 12 and three in the Big East coming in. They had just come off a home loss to Syracuse that had snapped a 40 game home winning streak. And Pitt started the year 18 and 0, later 22 and 1. Kev, can you talk about the implications and how much that Pitt game like really meant to the season? Yeah, it, it, not just to the season, to the program. You know, this, I can't tell you how insane the dunk was before this game. I mean, everyone talks about that Texas crowd because that game was so wild. If this was a better game, it would have been an absolute madhouse in the dunk. I just remember before that game, you almost couldn't hear the PA announcer when they were introducing the players. It was wild. And the thing is, PC came into that game, they hadn't just won five straight, but four of those games were on the road. And they were they were rolling teams, you know. And you always felt like Pittsburgh wasn't a great matchup for PC because what made PC really good is Marcus's shot blocking ability, you know, Ryan's ability and Pitt was really, really physical. It was. It was it was a hard place to play. And they were they were a tough team. They were just physical. They just we we really never got in our stuff. The zone never really they were a team that really didn't shoot. They were exhaust the offense and get more second chance points off offensive rebounds and just play more interior type of basketball. And you know, they kind of always brought it to us. That was a team that kind of always brought it to us, I thought. And we just kind of, we never gained control over it, over, over them. Like in any of the games that we played, we never really kind of, it was always like a boxing match. And in that game, they kind of just had us on the ropes pretty much the whole game. I would say physicality was one of the issues, right? I mean, Marcus was long and, and thin and, um, you know, but he, he wasn't a bully, uh, but it was really, and maybe it tended that physical teams played this way. But it was really teams that attacked the paint and attacked the rim, especially against our zone. You know, we love to see teams shooting three, shooting threes against the zone. Coaches would say afterwards, well, we got to make some shots. And, you know, we wanted them shooting, you know, tough threes, contested threes over our length. So I do think the teams that attacked the zone inside out gave us more trouble. And and Pitt, Pitt became one of those bad matchups for it, for sure. I think. I don't think they made a three-pointer in the second half, if I remember that correctly, or there's something about that. I just always remember when we were playing zone, a lot of coaches would, you know, they'd go five for 26 from three against our zone, and they'd say, yeah, you got to make some threes or you're not going to beat a zone. And Pitt wouldn't shoot threes. Pitt would throw one of their playmakers into the center of the zone and throw him the ball and make us guard him, and then he would spray it to other people. And um, so – they scored 85-something points on us, uh, and they really cracked our defense. I mean, honestly, that was it. Our defense that had been really, really good for most of the year and through that run, uh, they cracked it, and they did it without shooting threes. It wasn't like they made a bunch of shots over us. So uh, Jamie you know, has done a great job against zone forever in his career, Jamie Dixon and, and you know Ben Howland before that because they always put somebody who could make plays in the middle of the zone instead of putting like a five man in there and throwing it to him. And, you know, Hey, you'll live with him shooting a 15 foot jump shot. But uh, I do think physical tough teams uh, hurt us with our defense a little bit more than, than maybe finesse teams. Um, That environment was as good as it gets to start a game. You know, as I can remember in the dunk, it's just too bad. Uh, we couldn't sustain it for 40 minutes and keep it competitive because we, we really got whooped. 
to me, heading into that game, I thought back to when Providence had played Pittsburgh the year before in the Big East tournament. And that's when Pitt was the top seed in the Big East tournament. And that was a tie game, I think, with three minutes to go. And that was before PC really felt like they had truly turned a corner. Um, so in my mind, we're playing great basketball, right? We, we played these guys really tough in the Big East tournament. This is at home. The place is going to be nuts. PC is going to win this game. I really felt like PC was going to win that game. I knew how physical Pitt was, but it just seemed like every all the momentum was with Providence at this point. Something I remember about this game was that Ryan sat most of the first half with foul trouble. And, and PC really just was outscored in the second half by too large of a margin to win, you know, 55 to 34. So, I mean, it, it just, the numbers didn't lie there. And as you said, like in terms of like what it meant to the program and just had a greater overarching meaning, this was the highest ranked matchup for PC since PC hosted Holy Cross in 1978. This was special. And it's unfortunate that we couldn't, bring it together at that time having had so many gritty tenacious performances beforehand and this is where i think things started to unravel for the guys because it's hard to pinpoint an exact moment of when things fell apart for these 2003 2004 friars but this certainly started the avalanche honestly we didn't really we really wasn't upset about that i mean yeah we we got ranked we hit a lot of obstacles we knew that Pit was tough, and we were just like, you know what? They got this one, and we was like, we'll find a we'll, we'll find a way to see them again. That's what our mentality was. We we really didn't hold that loss over our head too much. I don't think so. Mm-hmm. I didn't feel that way. No, after the pit game, I thought we were fine. Yeah. Uh, and like you said, we had bounced back all year. We were resilient. We had won a ton of games. We were feeling good. I mean, we were a top fifteen team in the country. I thought it was going to be so interesting. So the Pittsburgh game is their second to last regular season game of the year. And it was almost assumed if they beat Pitt, obviously they're going to beat BC at home, right? So it was essentially like if they can beat Pittsburgh, they've won the Big East. So you lose this game to Pitt in really ugly fashion, but you look at this team, they bounce back from the tough loss at URI. They bounce back from back-to-back buzzer beaters against Texas and Rutgers. They bounce back from their little lull they had and got really hot when they lost to Seton Hall and Virginia Tech when the offense was really slumping. To me, it was going to be really telling. And I just believe in this team and its maturity that, okay, we that was a terrible loss. But they got Boston College coming up at home to wrap up the season. And then that's going into the postseason with momentum. And the first time I got really worried about where this thing was headed was early in that game. PC scored 15 points in the first half against BC. They were down 23-4. to four. This is senior day. And PC shot three from 22 from three. It was just a really bad performance. And all of a sudden for me at that point, I'm thinking like, this is two really tough ones in a row. And they didn't bounce back from the Pittsburgh game. As much as you're trying to put this one behind you and think like, okay, well, we're going to you know flip the page next week in Madison Square Garden. Uh, this is the first time I had some real, real concerns. The one that shocked us certainly shocked me was BC. I mean, senior night, like we're going to bounce back. You know, they're good, but but we're good. We felt like we were better. You know, we're a top 15 team. Like, and I think that game we were down 19 to four, right? From the, yeah, like the rip. I mean, it was, you know, and that to me was when we got stunned. You know, it was like, whoa. And I, you know, I know we battled back and we, but so I don't I don't think looking back, and I never felt it at the time, like, oh, that pit game did something to us, or that was it. It was really the BC game you know, where they came out and just 
took it to us and we were down huge early. And then it was like, whoa, like what's going on here? Uh, after that game, heading to the Big East tournament, I think our confidence was dinged a little bit, you know, and, and for sure. I mean, obviously you're playing good teams. You're in the Big East, so it's not like losing a couple of games matters, but you also start to feel the heat of, okay, you know, we lose this game in the tournament, that tournament's over. And then, you know, we get into, you know, the NCAA tournament, and you know, you know it's one and done. So I thought that BC game was more – uh, debilitating to our ability to go on a run in the postseason than the pick game was. I think that we kind of lost lost focus. I think that we lost focus. We we kind of like already set our, set our sights on the, on the tournament already. You know what I mean? Because of the season we had, but I I think that those losses were kind of like wake up calls, and we were like, oh no, we can get it back. We can get it back. We can get it back. And we didn't get it back, you know what I mean? But at the same time, we knew who we were and we knew what we accomplished. And I just felt like we kind of kind of like jumped ship. We jumped too early. We already felt like we was in the tournament, you know what I mean? When we wasn't really focused on trying to figure out what our position was in the tournament, you know what I mean? Because we knew we was like, our goal was to get in there because obviously the following year was the NIT, but we didn't make it or something like that. But I knew for sure we was like, oh, we just trying to get there. That was our goal to get there. And once we get there, we make noise. So as soon as we got there, once we knew we kind of solidified the tournament, we was like, okay, we good. And we kind of relaxed, I feel like we did. You know what I mean? We kind of relaxed. And, and those teams were looking for wins. And, you know, we're playing against good teams. Yeah, I think, I, think we are, I think we just lost focus. I think we lost focus. I think we knew, like, you know, we were going to be an NCAA team. I think we were excited about going into the Big East. I think we just bypassed those last two regular season games even though it said Pitt didn't really, you know, didn't really bother us. I thought it bothered us because it was for the Big East, you know, it was for it was really for the Big East championship in the regular season. So um, that, it was a three-way tie, I think, for first, and that kind of just, even though we say, like, we, we knew we were going to the NCAAs, it wasn't like that game got us out of there, but it meant something, at least to me, I knew it meant something to us. And even though we were going to play against Boston College and, Feel like we would get a good seed in in, in a Big East tournament. You know they were a tough team too. It was two of the almost identical teams we were playing back to back. In Boston College, we had we we did well against them over the last two years that we played them before going into that you know junior year that 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 finale. Um, and then they just played extremely well. And you know they they were similar like us. Me and me versus Craig Smith and you know the Jared Dellies and Sean Marshall was a great players and. Uh, double zero for them um so it was a it was another great game and then like you said going into Villanova this is you know I tell I became teammates with Randy Foy and I tell him man once you guys beat us that junior year you guys that was the year you guys took control over the Big East and kind of y'all you know y'all went the other way with with the way you know Jay Wright started configuring his teams with you know three guards and that was the first time we kind of ran up in the three point guards who can handle the ball and then they they took it to us. So, you know, I, we were, we went into the NCAA tournament on like a, you know, not on a good slate. We were on like a yellow light instead of, instead of being on a green light going into the NCAA tournament. I mean, we were, we were playing as good as anyone at that point. And I think just, you know, the, the length of the season and just like not, not being on point towards the end is probably like, you know, we didn't finish as strong as we could have. And, and I think towards the end, we started feeling a little bit of that pressure. 
um, you know, you lose one game and we didn't bounce back the same. And guys, you know, finally, like, like I said, that group was so tight. And then towards the end, it kind of started being a little bit like pointing the finger and you know, guys being selfish. Ryan was getting so much credit. We were getting national credit. And I think it was like the first time a lot of guys had dealt with that. So all that probably played into it. I think the Tim Welsh quote summarizes the BC loss very well. It's that we played a little angry in the second half. That's what we need to do from the get-go. If we don't do that, we're going to be one and done. One and done. You know, BC was hot. BC had players that were NBA bound in a very deep Big East. And that was their eighth win in nine games. So they should not have been taken lightly. And, and, and just the feeling going into that game, as you mentioned, was just that we were going to take it and kind of move on to postseason play. But PC still ended up being a three seed in the Big East tournament in a very deep Big East. Yeah, so at that point, I, I think all fans feel like once you get to the Garden, you, you can flip page on anything that happened. You always have hope you get to Madison Square Garden. And when they played Villanova, yeah, they had that really good young core, but they weren't a good team at this point. Villanova's 15 and 15 on the season heading in. And, you know, Providence had been pretty much the best team, one or two defensively in the league all year. And what was really shocking about this game, it's kind of a back and forth game for a while, but Nova goes on an 11 to nothing run late and they shot 61% in the second half against PC. That's just shocking. And it really felt like Sheikou Kaba stepped up big. He scored 24 points, but it felt like no one really came with him to New York. So, you know, it came with the season. You know, we lost some tough games. You know, we I thought we would really be able to regroup. You know, and then we go into that Villanova game. I, I played probably one of my best games in my career. I, was, I had like 28 or maybe – I might have had 30, but I don't think – I it wasn't a 30 ball because I don't remember that. I think it was like 28. And I had my whole family there. And Ryan Gomes got into that foul trouble early. So that kind of like, you know, no one else was really doing anything other than Ryan. Like, I mean, Ryan was out of the game. I was kind of getting off that day. And then when he got going, it, like he never really got in that game. He never really got in the game because of foul trouble. You know what I'm saying? But I, I really thought that we, I, I didn't never really felt like defeat. I just felt like, you know, we just took regular losses. Like we just took a tough loss. We still a good basketball team. We have some quality wins that we beat some quality teams. So it was just like maybe a game away where we could turn around and now we're back to winning again. That's how it felt. I do you think after the BC game, there was a general feeling of like, okay, now something's wrong, you know? And I don't know if we did a good enough job of getting the mentality right. Um, interestingly, after the Villanova game, everything resets, right? I mean, we had lost three in a row, but nobody knows that. It's like, okay, now they're talking, are we going to be a five seed, a six seed, a seven seed? And, you know, you're going to have a, a party on Sunday and you're going to fly somewhere on a chartered plane. And so I didn't feel like, you know, our confidence was crushed after that villain. It was kind of like a reset. You know, it was a, you know, all right, well, the regular season's over, but now we're going to the NCAA tournament. Again, you're, you're seeing two things happening here late in the season. You're seeing Providence's defense start to leak, and they just can't score from the outside all of a sudden. You know, I, I remember our defense fell apart in the second half, and it was just way too easy for Villanova to score. Um, you know, I, I also – I think we turned the ball over. I mean, our offense didn't really flow, and, uh, you know, Ryan didn't have his best game. You know, Ryan really struggled – you know, they, they took him away a little bit. So it was probably a number of things. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's probably fair to say that we were a little tight after that BC game. And that would be on us as coaches, right? You're, you're trying to 
you know, fight how everybody's feeling. You know, you're trying to change a mentality, a little sense of like, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying there was dread, but it's like, okay, is something wrong here? Are we all right? You know? And it seems like every little thing that goes wrong snowballs in those situations. And it certainly did for that team, for us. The backbone of this team was, was the two, three zone, send it to Marcus Doughton, like really active athletic guards up at the top of the zone really good rebounding athletic threes and fours and Rob Sanders and, and Ryan Gomes. Like it's just so interesting that this all happened so fast for the, for this team that had seen so much success throughout the year. And that leads us to the NCAA tournament where at this point, Providence had played some of the best teams in the country on any, any given night in the big East. And just to face a team in Pacific that's just so unknown and, 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 and just not relevant in the college basketball landscape, not having won a tourney game since 1967. This isn't even the Michael L. Candy Pacific team. Like, like this is just an interesting matchup for a team who had come off some losses going into the tournament that maybe it kind of gives you the vibe of, Hey, like we're going to be all right. Cause we're paying, we're playing this team that probably shouldn't even be in the same arena with us. Oh, of course. We we always like Pacific is not even on our level. We 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 were looking at this scouting report for about a couple of days, but we was already confident that we could beat them. You know what I mean? We was already looking at the next round. Okay, so going into it, it was like you know we gonna get this. We you know people you know I think Shake was like man we are gonna smack them. We gonna we gonna take we gonna smack them. Man, come on, we we not losing to them. You know they picked the twelve five games as a possible upset in the NCAs, and I want to say. And there was a lot of people watching the Pacific Providence game as possibly being one of the upset games. And uh, so we were confident going in there. Yeah, and Bill, I think, to be honest, that trickled down to the fan base. I can speak to my personal experience. I remember that game was – the Pacific game was on a Friday night in Kansas City. And if they won, they were likely going to play Kansas on Sunday. And I couldn't get Friday off from work. So I was like, they're going to beat Pacific whatever, I'm still going to fly out to Kansas City and go to the Kansas game. So I had a flight Saturday morning, assume I was going to see a win. And what do you know, they just completely lay an egg versus Pacific. You know, I, I think the things that stand out from that game, once again, PC struggled from three, there were six for 26. Ryan Gomes is terrific, 25 and 13. But, you know, they Pacific was hot. They'd won 16 games in a row. They had a point guard that was really breaking down PC's defense. And kind of ironically, you know, the, the two, three zone was a thing that kind of turned the program around the year prior. And early on in this game, PC was taken out of their two, three zone and they were, they were playing man. And Pacific had this point guard, Maya Davis, who just broke them down. Six on the shot, five, Davis fires up the three. Got it! timeout we knew the point guard makai davis so i knew the point guard was a good score they had international players like we had international players on our team um as well and you know we came out the game kind of we came out the game i think we came out the game solid you know marcus got into foul trouble if i'm not mistaken marcus delta got into foul trouble and that pushed me over to the five position and then i think pushed tuka up in there into the the lineup. Shea Cook couldn't make a shot that game. He was he didn't make any threes that game. Donnie really didn't make a lot of shots that game as well. So I think not to underestimate, we did say we were going to go in there and, and win, which we every team is confident they were confident they were going to come beat us. 
as well. But uh, I think we, you know, when the shots weren't falling, the game got a little bit different. You know, they just was able to steer the ship and, you know, play their offense. The zone didn't bother them that much. Then Davis started making shots and getting in the lane. And, and then, then they had this big guy, uh, Yango is his name, his last name. And similar to Pittsburgh, he was those kind of burlier centers were a tougher matchup for, for Marcus Douthat. And between those two guys, they just did a number on him. And I think the tough thing for PC too was that Marcus Douthat picked up a technical in the first half that gave him three fouls. So he basically picked up two fouls on one call, which essentially took him out of the game. And it, it, it felt like it just felt like PC was playing uphill and out of rhythm all, all game. We just said that, oh, yeah, we'll come back. We'll come back. We'll come back. And they, we didn't come back. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because we always, sometimes, you know, a team will come out and punch us in the face and we'll, we'll react and then we'll wind up winning the game. But, you know, it just felt like we got, we let the game get out of hand and we couldn't catch up. You know what I mean? We didn't, we wasn't, we took them too lightly because we was already looking ahead, you know? I think we also, I think we looked a little bit, since we were saying we we're going to beat them, we knew Kansas was next as well. We win that game, we go play against Kansas, who's the four seed um, that next round. Uh, so I think that kind of mustered up into our, you know, into our feelings as well. And I felt like I always, I be thinking about that till this day. I think about that team and say, damn, I could have, we could have went to at least elite, uh, final four or lead eight or 16. Like we should have never lost that first game. Like, but. You know, things happened and we lost, but that team was very special to me. That team is special to me. Now, years later, looking back on the game, I think the guys all shared the same sentiment of they came in just a little bit flat-footed, even though maybe it didn't show in the play. The mentality was just that they had already potentially went on to the next round. And in the NCAA tournament in a 5-12 matchup, you just you just can't look at something, you know, as, as, as an already guaranteed victory. And I think they would really love to go back and just treat that game just a little bit differently, considering all the success that they had that year. And maybe just the thought of getting to Kansas that next round was was on the mind of everybody. I mean, how could it not? Like, if you're somebody playing for Providence College, the thought of playing Kansas in the next round, I don't, I don't you know, if you're a human being, that's probably going to be on your mind. We'd like to thank everyone for listening to the Friar Pod series hosted by FriarBasketball.com and the Friar Podcast. If you like our content and you've enjoyed this Friar Pod series, please follow the Friar Podcast at the Friar Podcast on Instagram and at the Friar Podcast on Twitter. And please be sure to visit FriarBasketball.com. We'd like to thank Kevin Farahar for joining us. And we'd like to thank all of you for listening. And as always, go Friars. Go Friars.